0: Welcome to Viewpoint USA. I'm your host, Robert Deming, and today we're going to talk about electoral procedure. The newest clickbait craze on the internet du jour surrounds the 12th Amendment. Republican commentators and pundits, and even elected officials, are using a misreading of this amendment to breathe hope into an otherwise futile argument. Understand this, I'm not taking a position on the election, nor the fraud that occurred, or the outcome. I'm just pointing out facts. We have no allegiances here. Just to the truth. The language of the 12th Amendment is pretty clear. It doesn't take a lawyer or a constitutional scholar to understand it. The President of the Senate shall, in the presence of the Senate and the House of Representatives, open all the certificates and the votes shall be counted. While the opening and counting of the electors may be exclusively in the hands of the Vice President or the President of the Senate. The Vice President is not vested with the arbitrary discretion or the unilateral authority to pick and choose which electors to count, contrary to what many may have you believe. The language of this amendment clearly reads, shall open all the certificates and the votes shall be counted. This is where the Electoral Count Act comes in. Many... Want to compare it to the, the excuse me the Hayes-Tilden election of 1876, where multiple states sent dueling electors to Congress. At that time, a political bargain was struck between the parties, handing the presidency to the Republican Rutherford B. Hayes. Yet at that time, the current statutory framework we have in place now didn't exist. The Electoral Count Act of 1887, a federal law written in part due to the confusion of the 1876 election, established new procedural guidelines for the counting of electoral votes. This law is still in place today, yet we continue to hear the theory of delegate voting, where each state gets one vote and the Republicans have the most delegates, so ha, Trump wins. Well, let's unpack that. This theory has been perpetuated on the basis that all the Republicans need is one objection in the House and then one objection in the Senate against the state's slate of electors. That's not exactly how the Electoral Account Act of 1887 works. Mind you, this is the way we currently are bound to proceed in an electoral dispute. In order to get to that Republican safe haven of state delegations, they have to cross an impossible minefield while metaphorically being barefoot and blindfolded. You see, the Electoral Account Act sets procedures for two scenarios, both of which could apply to the 2020 election. The first, is a situation where only one set of electoral, excuse me, one set of electoral votes is submitted by a state. Objections would be raised on the grounds that those electoral votes were not regularly given by an elector, or that the electors were not lawfully certified according to that particular state's law. The second scenario applies when two, excuse me, two or more slates of slates and states are awfully <laughs> similar. The second scenario applies when two or more slates of electors, or dueling electors, from the same state are submitted to Congress, as was the case in the 1876 election. What's unclear in the Electoral Account Act is if Congress could vote to discard a slate of electoral votes certified by a state, even if that state followed its own election laws. Let's assume an election where the electors of a state are all appointed above board, certified, the votes were regularly given, and all that. To supersede those electors, the Act requires that an, an objection to the individual slate returns, excuse me, the state returns, must be made in writing by at least one member, both of the Senate and the House of Representatives. Check. No doubt. there will be such objections. We've all heard Republican representatives and senators publicly announce that they'll be objecting to the Biden slate of electors. Now, the joint sessions recess and the two houses separate and then debate the question in their respective chambers for a maximum of two hours. Check. This will assuredly happen. It will occur. Then the two houses vote separately to accept or reject the objection. Check. Mega time, right? Well, not really. Here's the problem for the Republicans. The representatives and the senators each vote individually, not the state's delegations. Well, at least not yet. Now, Everybody gets back together in a joint session and announces the results of their respective votes. An objection to the state's electoral vote must be approved by both houses in order to kick out the contested electoral votes from the count. This is where the hurdle I previously mentioned comes into place for the Republicans. The electors' votes objected to will be counted unless the two houses acting separately shall both independently of one another decide those votes were not the lawful votes. Therefore, if the two houses disagree, then the votes of the contested electors shall be counted. Let me remind you that the House is controlled by the Democrats. This means the Republicans will need about five Democrats to turn on their party and vote in favor of Trump. Don't hold your breath. Democrats are as thieves, and so close to the Oval Office, they will not abandon ship. Whereas Republicans are oil and water in their own party. They can't get anything together, and they can't agree on anything. So for shoots and giggles because this is a family show let's just hypothetically pretend some hot place froze over and those democrats actually crossed the aisle to uphold the objections of the contested electors the senate with the republican majority will still not come through for trump four senators have already publicly expressed their congratulations to joe biden and acknowledged him as their legitimate presidential winner Mitt romney susan collins Lisa Murkowski, and Ben Sass might therefore select Biden's slate of electors instead of Trump's. Keep in mind, the senators will be under the impression that the majority Democrat House is not going to support Trump's electors, and as those four have done in the past, will vote in favor of Biden in their continued attempt to curry favor with the incoming Democrat president. This has happened before and in our lifetime. 2005, Representative Stephanie Tubbs Jones and Senator Barbara Boxer objected to Ohio's electoral votes for George W. Bush. The House and Senate met separately, as required by the act, and using a roll call vote widely rejected the objection. The House denied the objection in a 31 to 267 vote, and the Senate denied the same objection in a 1 to 74 vote. In 2005, there was a Republican majority, but more than 100 Democrat members in Congress chose to curry favor with the incoming Republican president. Clearly, this process cannot be easily used to overcome the results of an election, or it would have been many, many times before. And there have been plenty of opportunities to alter presidential outcomes. In 1996, Republicans controlled both houses, but Bill Clinton, a Democrat, was still inaugurated. In 1980, Democrats controlled both houses, but Ronald Reagan, a Republican, was still inaugurated. In 1972, Democrats controlled both houses, but Nixon, a Republican, was still inaugurated. You get the picture? If this process were easy to accomplish, elections throughout history would have very different outcomes. But thankfully, our electoral voice has not been abused only through the restrictive mechanisms of the Electoral Account Act. If it could have been, it would have been, but then we would have probably come up with something much better to replace it. But that's just my viewpoint.